We are now going to take a look at some of those ancient words that we just sang about. And uh, they are messages of love to us. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege again of coming before you. Thank you for the blessing that your words to us are as contained in the scriptures. As we look at them today, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, that we would see you, that we would be changed, that you would receive the glory and honor that you deserve. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the um, reading from last week, it was First Samuel one, First uh, Samuel eight to fifteen. We saw the transition from the time of the judges, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, to the time of the kings, with Samuel anointing Saul as the first king of Israel. Saul became that king, which the people demanded, and God allowed even as God made it very clear that Israel's desire for a king was actually a sign of Israel's rejection of him as their king. He was Israel's true king. Soon Saul proved that he was not the man for the job due to his tendency to do what he thought was right or what made the most sense instead of obeying the Lord and trusting the Lord. In chapters 16 to 24, this week's reading we see the rise of David, who was the right man for the job, even though he had a number of flaws, which we will be looking at over the coming weeks in the later chapters. Today, we will be looking at one of the most famous stories in the Bible, the story of David and Goliath, a story that takes place while Saul is still king. In Sunday school classes in my own reflection, and definitely in the cultural memes that have come from this historic event, too often this story gets boiled down to a pitted fight between a big guy and a little guy, with a little guy prevailing. We like that. The truth is, though, that there is so much more to this story than that. My hope is to provide a better understanding of what's really going on here and and then apply those lessons to our lives when a Goliath appears. My hope, um, part of the challenge with this text, and I just want to clarify a few things, um, is that some of the terms are not familiar to us, like the units of measure. Uh, used to describe Goliath and his armor. So before I do the reading, I just want to clarify a few things about this fellow and his armor. Goliath was a big dude, probably a little over nine feet tall. His spear weighed about 33 pounds. His sword was about 25 pounds. His armor weighed about 126 to 150 pounds. He was a massive war machine, unequaled by anybody in Israel's army. Now hear the word of the Lord. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. 
starting in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succoth and Aska and Ephstamen. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in lines of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are not you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants." But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul then um, a- after this, uh, we, we, we get a little background uh, on David and his brothers, three of whom are in the battle lines there opposite the Philistine army. And the text goes on to talk about how for 40 days in a row now, in the morning and in the evening, the Philistine king's champion, Goliath, had come out and taunted Saul and his army basically repeating the scene we just read. Then one day, David, David's dad sends David to deliver some stuff to his brothers and to get word about how his three sons are, were faring. David shows up dressed as a youthful shepherd, which he was. And he shows up around the time that Goliath, his daily taunt, begins. And he begins to taunt the king of Israel, and his servants. And David hears Goliath. While everyone else is shaking in fear, David starts to ask some questions. He eventually learns that Saul has offered a reward to anyone who will stand up for the king, for King Saul, as Saul's champion, to face the champion of the king of the Philistines. But there are no takers. This bends David out of shape. And he says, almost with disgust, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For whom is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, this boldness got people's attention, including David's brothers who basically tell David to shut up and go home. But David's word gets to Saul. I'm picking up in verse 31. 
When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Saul then offers David the opportunity to wear his armor and his weapons, which was probably the very best in all of Israel. But David says, no, thank you. And he goes to the battlefield as who he was, a young shepherd with his shepherd's staff, his little shepherd's pouch, a sling, And he faces off against a giant covered in bronze armor with weapons that are twice or three times the size of anyone else's. A simple shepherd versus a human tank. Now picking up in verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it, and it struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. After this, David goes forward, takes Goliath's sword and cuts off his head, and then leads Israel in a great rout of the Philistine army. 
The little guy appears to have won. Perhaps the most significant misunderstanding about this battle is who is actually facing off with who. The confrontation between David and Goliath has become a metaphor for whenever a little guy and a big guy, a little company and a big company, a small school basketball team and a big school basketball team square off with each other. But fundamentally, that was not what the combatants thought as they faced each other. Goliath was the designated champion for his king. In his mind, he was standing there as the proxy for the king of the Philistines to face Saul or whoever Saul appointed as his proxy. The point of the champion's battle, as was being proposed by Goliath on behalf of the Philistine king, he wouldn't have done that without the king's approval, was for the kings themselves to not have to do any fighting or risk their lives or waste the lives of their servants, their slaves, which was a real risk in an all-out battle, which often resulted in the humiliation and the slaughtering of the losing king and their servants. This was a way to avoid that by the kings. A shepherd boy showing up on behalf of the Israelite king did not make sense to Goliath or to the people prepared to watch the fight. Their confusion was due to their identifying David with the wrong king. While Goliath, the representative of the Philistine king, was physically standing opposite David, the representative for the Israelite king, David, made it very clear Goliath was actually going up against the God of the host of heaven, the true king of Israel. Certainly David, in this earthly economy, also understood that he was the servant to Saul. And when he went before Saul he, to say he was going to fight against the Philistine, he actually called him himself a servant of Saul three times. But in David's mind, the king he was representing was the king of the universe, Yahweh. David also knew he would not be going before Goliath on his own strength, or even on the strength or authority of earthly king Saul. This was a, a point David also made very clear while telling the stories about killing a lion and a bear. While it might have sounded at first like David was boasting about his fighting skills and prowess, David made it very clear that it was the Lord who gave David victory over the lion and the bear. David's confidence was 100% in the king of Israel, God. David also made this clear to Goliath and to those watching as to who he was representing. Here, verse 45 again. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know, and this is the reason, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into my hand. That all the world would know that God, that there is a God in Israel. And that is Yahweh, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That is our God. In David's mind and in reality, it was Goliath against the God of Israel, and Goliath didn't stand a chance. There's another huge player in this whole story that is often overlooked. It isn't Saul, and it wasn't the king of the Philistines. The other huge player in this story is the people of Israel. We've addressed this many times before, but the truth is, of all of the characters in the Bible, and this story is no exception, the character we are most like, unfortunately, is Israel. And Israel failed. First of all, Israel didn't seem to care about God's honor. And God's honor is something that is so important, important enough that Jesus himself told us when he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, that we should desire that God's name be hallowed, be honored, be revered, be held up as it should be here on earth as it is in heaven. The importance of hallowing God's name had also been made very clear to Israel over the past and recent history by way of the clean and unclean laws, by way of the sacrifices, through signs and wonders, through the words of the prophets. Yahweh, the God of the universe and of Israel, was to be hallowed. He was not like other gods and was to be recognized as who he is. When Goliath, according to verse 43, had the audacity to curse David in the name of his gods, Israel should have reflected on a fairly recent episode when the image of the Philistine god that was Goliath's god, Dagon, kept falling over in front of the Ark of the Covenant until its head and hands came off. The Philistine's god fell over in front, of, in front of the symbol of Yahweh. Other gods are nothing before Yahweh. Goliath was demeaning, not hallowing God, our Father, in the name of worthless false gods. And all Israel should have responded like David did. Or at least they should have told Goliath to shut up. Or at least they should have sat back and said, 
man, I wonder what God's going to do to this Goliath guy for mocking him. Instead, all, his, all the Israelite soldiers seemed to really care about was their own survival. And that giant in front of them was a clear and present danger. What he said about God did not matter. They were going to protect themselves. It was as if Israel had forgotten that God had delivered them over and over again. This is the God who had actually won battles for Israel without one Israelite soldier raising a sword. This is the God who made walls fall down. This is the God who divided the Red Sea and drowned the most powerful army the world had at that time. If Israel had considered who it was that Goliath was demeaning, was attacking, and it was not King Saul, and it was not going to be him. If Israel had considered that, Hallowing of God's name rather than worrying and being afraid would have been the order of the day. That was David's concern. God's honor was being attacked. And unlike the Israelites, David didn't care if he died. He was not willing to sit by and do nothing while that blaspheming giant mocked his God. Israel's fundamental problem was that they didn't have faith or trust in God. Central to their problem was that they had forgotten who their real king was. If they had kept that in mind when Goliath was taunting them, and if they really understood that Goliath was actually taunting God Almighty the Israelites would not have been quivering and fearful. But they were entrenched in their faithlessness. So much so that when David started to make the point that the giant was really demeaning and attacking God, not them, that they, and that they should trust God, they, they, including his own brothers, told him to be quiet. They simply did not have faith in the God of Israel, their true king, when faced with a giant. David is an example of someone who trusted God and had faith in him. And we, like David, we need to learn from the story. Like David... When we see the God of the host of heavens and the armies of God being demeaned, we need to stand up. Not with the world's weapons of war. Not with the world's methods, which is what Saul tried to get David to wear and David refused. But we need to, like David, Stand up simply as we are with the things that God has provided us with and face the enemy with full confidence that we are not the one the enemy is contending with, but the enemy is contending with our true king, God Almighty, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and it will not even be a contest. We need to stand up and face the Goliaths of life in faith and in confidence in our God who is really the one being attacked. And whoever or whatever we are facing does not stand a chance. But what happens when things turn out differently than that? For instance, let's look at the story of Stephen from Acts chapter 7. Stephen was a guy who stood up in the face of the enemies of God and God's honor and proclaimed the truth of Jesus and who Jesus was. Well, it was not a giant before him. Stephen was proclaiming his king, and he was way outnumbered and outgunned by the religious leaders confronting him who were refusing to honor Jesus. And Stephen was fully confident in God, just as David was. Yet in this case, no giants fell. Instead, Stephen ended up under a pile of rocks, dead. Or what about our Christian brothers and sisters in Sudan who have their heads cut off by Muslim terrorists for not renouncing their king, Jesus? How, how are they victorious? They, they're showing the faith of David. They stood up and hallowed God. They were at least as courageous as David, yet it did not turn out the same way for them. What good is it to go up against giants and only end up dead? First of all, we must always remember the first point that was made, a point that Goliath never understood and the Israelites forgot. And that is that the real battle was never between Goliath and David. Nor was it between the people throwing rocks at Stephen and Stephen. Nor was it between the Muslim terrorists and the Christian families in Sudan. It is between the forces of evil and our God to whom we who are in Christ belong. And while we might look at a particular situation and think it is bad, the truth is that those forces of evil do not stand a chance against God Almighty. The point is not to survive. It is to live. And true life can only be found in being in a right relationship with God, which is something God made possible in Jesus. This true life will not end when the body ceases or you lose a job or cancer seems to be winning. When God allowed for Stephen to be killed or for communists to, be, to persecute our brothers and sisters in China or for you to be really wronged or for a child to be sick or die, it's not because God is losing. God cannot lose. God simply knows things that we don't. 
For instance, had Stephen not borne that good testimony that he did as rocks pummeled him, we may never have encountered the Apostle Paul who converted and millions and millions and millions and millions of souls, including ours, will know eternity because of Stephen's faithfulness and witness. And while it is beyond awful that the Muslim butchers inflict harm on our brothers and sisters, they simply cannot kill them or the church of Christ, which is really what they're attacking. In fact, the true church, the people who belong to Christ, is growing faster in Iran and China because of the faithful testimony of those who are persecuted. It's growing faster there than it is here in America where we have our comforts and we haven't encountered near the hardships that our brothers and sisters elsewhere encounter. You see, survival is not the issue. Living is. And we who are in Christ will live forever, including now. And nothing, including the decimation of our bodies, can stop that. Not even the gates of hell, according to Jesus himself. But we must remember, if we are in the Lord, we must remember who is really squaring off with who when we see a giant in front of us. And we must have confidence in our king and not make the mistake of looking at the giants in front of us and thinking that staying alive or keeping the job or beating that disease is the most important thing. Or, or even thinking that we need to encounter the giants on our own strength. There is no reason to quiver in fear about the Goliath of economic collapse or COVID or an illness or hunger or a man who lives in a White House. We, we need to knock that off and be concerned about the honor of our God, the hallowing of God's name and speak it and place our trust and confidence in him. We also need to avoid deluding ourselves by thinking that we can beat giants or lions or bears or bosses or political parties with the weapons of the world. We can't. Instead, we need to stand as who we are and proclaim the truth of whose we are. And the giant, the giant might fall. And you might cut off his head. Or you may get your head cut off. It doesn't matter. Because our king will prevail. And because of Jesus and what he has done, you will never die. You cannot lose. The battle is the Lord's. And the enemy, any Goliath, does not stand a chance. One more, one more point. 
One of the things that David said as he was facing Goliath was that the whole world will know. That world is us. Do we know? You will face giants in your life. You will find yourself in front of situations and people and illnesses and ultimately death, the eventual giant that all of us will face. The question is, are you prepared to take on that giant? If you are someone who envisions yourself as a great warrior, a noble lion-killing, sharpshooting David, who isn't afraid of anything and will stand in front of any giants, more power to you. You will lose. You will lose. If you are someone who simply wants to survive, well, you eventually won't. If you are someone who is afraid of the battle and actually find yourself in fear of what is in front of you, I have the answer. And the giants before you will not stand a chance. You must place your faith in God, made fully known in Jesus, the true king. The true king who loved you so much that he died for your sins, that you can be forgiven of all of them and live forever. If you have not done that, if you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, do it today. Talk to me, talk to one of the elders, talk to Jesus today. Put your faith in him. And giants will never look the same. If you are someone who has placed already your trust and faith in the almighty God and king of the universe, then I'm challenging you. Stand and face that giant in full confidence in the king who cannot lose. And those giants do not stand a chance. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father and King, we hallow and praise your name. We thank you for what you have done in Jesus. Help us to have faith and trust in you as we face our giants. In the name of Jesus, amen.